This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. It is Tuesday, April 28th, and I'm John Dunn. Welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. Now, this episode is another in this series we've decided to do, where we're going to look at some individual communities, the progress, the programs, the people who are bringing about the change. In episode four, we went to Chicago. It's a city that has been able to capitalize on the success they've been building over the last few years. During the pandemic, their life-saving has gone to heights once thought to be unattainable. And for this episode, we're going to Virginia. Norfolk, Virginia. It's on the Chesapeake Bay. It's one community part of the much, much larger Hampton Roads area. Norfolk is probably best known as a military town, as a huge naval base, which, according to my super in-depth Wikipedia research, is the world's largest. And for many of us in this work, the name Norfolk immediately brings one thing to mind, the notoriously anti-no-kill organization PETA. Now, this story, this community isn't all about them, but you also can't leave them out of it, but we'll get to that later. I'm the bureau manager of Norfolk Animal Care Center. That's Michelle Dawson. I've always been a volunteer with animal services, like in some form growing up, you know, we have the largest, I shouldn't say the largest, I think it's the largest penguin colony in the Southern Hemisphere. And I got to do a bunch of rehab work with penguins. If the accent and penguin rehab background didn't give it away, she's from Cape Town, South Africa. Michelle's professional career in the U.S. included a stint at, ironically, the Norfolk organization. Her next animal welfare job was working for animal care and control in Richmond, Virginia. As an animal care worker and vet tech and everything but field services, and then moved to field services as an animal protection officer in Austin, Texas. She spent 10 years in Austin before making the move to Best Friends, where she worked with municipal shelters across the country, helping them implement life-saving programs to get them to no-kill. Now, although I didn't work directly with Michelle, I got to know her a little bit, and I can vouch that she's smart and funny. I come from the school of thought where you have to collaborate, you have to help each other, And you are never as smart as you think you are. That includes you, John. (laughs) Okay, maybe she's not that funny. Anyway, she definitely is tough. So when the Norfolk opportunity presented itself, she was all over it. Well, it's no surprise that the position had been open for a while. Um, You're potentially stepping into a hornet's nest, so to speak. So what is the deal with Norfolk? Why, Why is it such a hornet's nest? Deborah Griggs, by day, is a real estate broker in the city. In 1998, I started a small animal rescue organization in Norfolk, and that pulled my heart to the realities of what was happening with animals in my public shelter. It's fair to say that Deborah is one of those visionary types, in that she very quickly realized way back then that the way things were working didn't really work. Sure, her rescue saved lives, but the impact her organization had on the shelter was limited. We shifted our focus. And we shifted it because we wanted to deliver a different outcome. We wanted to save more lives and do it more effectively. So we began to focus on, we didn't even know what it was called then, by the way, but it was surrender prevention. So we helped folks who did not want to surrender their animal, keep their animal. And we focused very much on spay and neuter. And 
Today, that continues to be our focus, and we play a really important role in outcomes in Hampton Roads. Having proven the change was working in her community, she looked to take the knowledge statewide through the Virginia Federation of Humane Societies. It's a membership-based organization for shelters, rescues, sanctuaries, animal control. It was created way back in 1959. To be perfectly honest with you, at that point, it did not seem to be the leader for change that I thought a statewide organization could or should be. I became a part of the Federation and went on the board and have led that organization and sort of had my hand in all areas of the state. And that work paid off. The Virginia Fed helped organizations across the state work together effectively to save lives. Data, as it tends to do, played a central role. A transport program moved animals from areas that had few resources to provide positive outcomes to areas of the state where resources were more plentiful and positive outcomes could be achieved. All obvious stuff, right? The more resources, the better opportunities to save lives. So then explain Norfolk. The geographic area, which includes that city, is so resource-rich. We have a number of low-cost spay-neuter clinics. We have a number of veterinarians and emergency clinics that offer reduced rates to rescue groups. We have, I think, you know, seven or eight public shelters and about 12 private shelters and a plethora of rescue groups. So with all that in place, the logical question is why was Hampton Roads lagging behind the rest of the state? Even for 2019, we are the most dangerous place in the state for a sheltered animal. So it, it's a head scratcher, isn't it? Deborah says Norfolk's issues can essentially be boiled down to the doing what we've always done mentality. Recently elected city leadership has helped push things forward, and a new interim director who had no sheltering experience at all brought a fresh set of eyes. That was all great progress. And then the city searched for the new shelter director. For the city of Norfolk, with the history of different stakeholders, for them to hire somebody like that, I think that's a massive step. Uh, for what I perceive is in the right direction for sheltering and um, an opportunity that we should, me or we, I say we as a movement, uh, as an industry, like we couldn't turn down. And obviously Michelle picked one hell of a time to start. I had a whole strategic plan when I moved here and I had timelines and things to roll out and that just completely went out the window with the pandemic. We're kind of pushed into doing things a lot quicker. And we're back to that silver lining accelerating the implementation of programs, it's not a bad thing at all. The bright light that happened in this community on Friday before the city shut down, this new director came out with this crazy idea that we were going to, she was going to get those animals out of that building by foster or adopt. And it was going to be a public event and everybody was invited and Look what happened. They ran out of dogs and cats who could leave the building. Yeah, super proud of them for that weekend. It was unlike anything I had ever seen um, in a shelter that was used to only doing like five to 10 animals on a very busy day, did 30 on the first day and then 20 on the next day. I cannot possibly convey the electricity and the energy and the inspiration that that brought to this community who had never seen anything like that before, had always been told that was impossible. I don't wish this pandemic on anybody, but for animal services, it really can be an opportunity to make some 
much needed changes and what we've always been searching for and have been what fighting for. This is the time to make those changes because we are forced into it. You might as well make them permanent. Some of the changes that need to happen in Norfolk are biggies. Operations during the pandemic are using the guidelines set forth by the National Animal Control Association, which means they're not accepting any healthy animals in traps, including community cats. But that city has an ordinance that expressly prohibits trap neuter return. So Michelle says she'd love to see that change. Really implementing systemic change to support that life-saving is what we're going for. And um, yeah, it's definitely on the menu. Let me be clear. Our goal is at least 90% for the state. We're not there yet. Deborah and the Virginia Fed will not see that goal realized without success in Norfolk. Now, Michelle has plenty of things planned, such as a behavior modification program and developing the knowledge of her team. I want to see the staff at Norfolk Animal Care Center get opportunities to be exposed to other ways of sheltering. How the things that you they never thought were even possible. In the very short time that I've been here, I've seen them grow exponentially. So I can't wait for them to actually get out there and like start networking with other um, organizations outside of the Hampton Roads area. And unlike the culture of the past, she is fully aware that you should never keep doing something just because that's the way you've always done it. When you're afraid of change in animal services, unfortunately, that's not going to be a very comfortable place because our industries continuously evolving. Even with all these things lining up, it is still not smooth sailing ahead. There are hurdles related to the pandemic and hurdles that do not. And one of them is that national organization I mentioned that is headquartered in Norfolk. As far as Michelle is concerned, they're a stakeholder just like everybody else. All of our stakeholders are a critical piece of our pie, right? We all have really good things to bring to the table and we're not ever going to agree on everything. And that's okay. But I'm here, from my experience, I know that I'm all about collaboration. I'm all about transparency. And I know that the community has historically just viewed the shelter in one way. And I'm here to change that and improve relationships and bring them in and move forward that way. People can do what they're going to do, but um, that applies to myself as well. Do we have tough days ahead? Of course we have tough days ahead, but this engagement of the community is so very powerful that I feel positive about how this will all sort itself out. The producers of the podcast, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, and Mark Peralta. They do a ton of work on this thing, you guys. I'm just the pretty face, so I'm very thankful to be working on this with them. The website is always bestfriends.org slash podcast. And we've enjoyed hearing from those of you who have emailed. You can send us an email, podcast at bestfriends.org. Please take care of yourselves and each other and be safe. I'm John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.